Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 11th. Uh, you know what that means, folks. 311 day. 311, baby. Amber is the color of your energy. Whoa. Ooh. That is a t- elite top-level song. Yeah, it's a really good one. That's like probably their most most famous song. And it's like definitely, maybe, definitely. Yeah, well, yeah, it definitely is. You're right. It's maybe like my third favorite song by them. I'm a big 311 guy, weirdly, surprisingly. Not a lot of people know that about me. I've seen them. I saw them a long time ago at Pier 6. You know why they're called 311? Enlighten me. So they're from Nebraska, right? And 311. Really? Yeah, so 311 is the police code in Nebraska for public nudity. That is so the boys like to get naked. I suppose so. Yeah, they're just like running around the cornfields, dongs out. I don't know what they're doing, but not to be confused with the bare naked ladies. No, those guys. Well, yeah, that's probably a whole different subsection. I think that's supposed to be a little more suggestive than uh, when the, what they've got going on over an old uh, old three eleven there. But yeah, big three eleven guy. So three eleven day. Yeah, Roger, Roger. We got a three eleven going on. They're naked in the cornfield again. Yeah, those, those them Duke boys out there. Um. But yeah, March 11th, surprisingly a news-heavy day for the Ravens, not typically seeing this type of stuff uh, in the early spring at the very least, uh, at least you know in between combine and free agency. Kind of sometimes it can be a little bit quiet, but we've got a lot going on. Uh, CBA, I almost said CBD there. Uh, it was just in my head. Uh, shout out to Boneless Weed. Um, but the CBA is, uh, the talks are still very much <laughs> kicking up. Um yeah, a lot, lot, lot to get to, but I didn't, I didn't quite hear you because you snuck it in there, and it like my brain had to go back and hear boneless weed again. When I heard and that, yeah, like when I heard that, for, thank you for that one. I like that. Yeah, one. I didn't come up with that. I think I saw that on Twitter uh, somewhere. It's um, okay. It's okay. I like it. Yeah, no, that's just I always whenever I think of CBD, now I think of that. Um, but yeah, CBA talks uh, firing off a little bit. Um, some trade talks and free agency things things going on, but with the CBA not really finalized, we can't fully talk about that. But plenty of other stuff Ravens wise to get to. The first of which was today was March 10th. Uh, it is, I should say, as we're recording this, 
uh, at night. And today uh, was a historic day for the Ravens as their longtime stalwart uh, right guard, Marshall Yonda, officially announced his retirement. This was leaked a few days ago by our boy Barstool Banks, uh, who I think has a pretty good source because he doesn't take a lot of these shots very often with news breaking. But whenever he does, he seems to be right. Uh, and he was unfortunately right on this one as uh, Yonda uh, or rather the Ravens put it out there that he is going to be retiring and that I think there is going to be a little press conference thing tomorrow for him with John Harbaugh and I believe DaCosta as well in the picture. Right, and it's the end of an era. That is an all-time Raven. He is the best Raven to ever play offensive guard. So it's sad, but at the same time, I did not expect him to last this long and play at this high of a level. If you would ask me, you know, 2015, uh, he's gone through a bevy of injuries, played through shoulder. I mean, the dude walked off the field with a broken leg once. That was insane. The grittiest, the toughest, the nastiest. Um, I think that his tattoo, like, kind of sums him up. It's like, I don't know. You just don't fight dudes that look like him that have that tattoo on his shoulder. And he has just been a badass my entire adult life really on the Baltimore Ravens. When I think of Marshall Yonda, so many highlights of him finding work and not having someone in his face in pass pro and then just freaking leveling a D end leveling an outside linebacker going and obliterating someone else's man always pops into my head. I can think of like 10 off the top of my head, but that is the epitome of what you want from an offensive lineman, someone who is a bouncer and is going to throw dudes out of the club. He did it so often. He had his teammates backs always had everyone's backs. Uh, it's, it's sad to see him go, but again, I, I just truly did not think he was going to last this long. And he did turned out another really, really, really outstanding year. And it's been so imperative really going out on top while he still has maybe a little bit left in the tank, but I fully support him getting out now and, I mean, I can't imagine what it's been like. He basically played without a left shoulder for an entire season a couple of years ago. So uh, the toughest, the best, wish Marshall Yonda all the best, all the relaxation, all the chickens in his farm in Iowa, whatever. Uh, I believe that the Ravens got a little bit ahead of it, but sad to see him go a little, but just appreciative of the time that he had and all the things that he did and uh, kind of that reinvigorated fun that he brought this past year. So thank you for everything, Marshall. Yeah, that's very well said. And he's now going to go back to Iowa, presumably, and literally take care of his chickens and his mentals. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you kind of you kind of <laughs> hit it all on the head there uh, with the way that the bodyguard kind of style of play like Luke Jones from WNST was tweeting today. Uh, he tweeted a clip of a play from the Denver game, the divisional rounds uh, where you're in o- overtime nearing the end of the first overtime. And uh, I think it's the second and 10 Flacco checks it down to Ray Rice. or Maybe it was a run and uh, Ray's getting close to the, uh, the sticks, but he get, kind of gets held up right before it. And uh, it's looking very much like it's going to be a third and one. But then Yonda just comes in and just bull rushes from behind and pushes him over the line, basically sets them up to uh, make the game winning field goal there in that second overtime a couple minutes later. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a key play that sort of defines who he was. And the way that I had put it was that, you know, we're throwing around the word changing of the guard a lot around here. um, And I think rightfully so um, because of a lot of the legends of the team that we grew up watching in the, you know, the 2000s and the 2010s are gone. Um, in 2012, Ray and Ed left, and they were kind of the two guys for me for 
the 2000s or the aughts as a decade. And then last year for the 2010s, you lose Suggs and you lose Flacco in the same offseason. And now for me, sort of that third guy that defines the 2010s, you could probably throw Tucker in there too. But for me, Yonda would be the third guy if I had to pick. Uh, he's gone now too. So it kind of is a full changing of the guard over to Lamar Jackson. And uh, it's like I said in my write-up for the website, BaltimoreBeatdown.com. Um, Robert Mays of the Ringer profiled him a few years ago in a training camp, I believe. And he described him as like an NFL legend who's just hiding in plain sight, which I think is a good way of putting it. And I think um, Kyle Barber um, kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit where he said, maybe we're kind of overrating the him being underrated a little bit, or we're kind of sort of making too much out of it. It feels like the last couple of years, he's gotten a lot of recognition, like the last three years or so, whereas maybe the first like five or six years of his career, it was like a silent stud. For sure. And I get what he was saying there, but I think for just kind of hitting on those you know, when he was sort of still kind of coming into his own in 2010, he like in the 2010s, he sort of dealt with injury issues early on, uh, some stuff that maybe held him back from reaching his full potential. But by the time 2010 came around, I think is when he really started to hit his stride. And it was at that point that he was still maybe kind of a little overshadowed as a team superstar. Because you have all these loud, outspoken, you know, superstar players, um, not only on defense, but on offense a little bit as well. So it's easy to sort of get lost in the shuffle. And for a guy like him who just kind of comes in and, you know, brings his lunch pail and his hard hat and just goes about his job and doesn't really call attention to himself, it was sort of easy for him to, uh, you know, fall into that pile where he's not being talked about like those guys are. So it's like you mentioned, it kind of, it does feel like he started to get his just due uh, by the broadcast and, you know, the media and whatnot over the last couple of years. I think that has definitely helped with, uh, you know, how many people come on Twitter and whatever and the internet and like, I don't know, just, like Quentin Nelson is like a superstar, like has sure. like a following now kind of. So I think that definitely helped. And you can thank, I think, uh, some of the analytics websites for as much as people kind of bag on them for not looking at the full picture. I think they do a great job of highlighting the offensive linemen and um, bringing a nice profile. PFF for sure does yeah. that. And so like st- he was still playing at an exceptional level. He could have played, I think, for another year, maybe even two. PFF had him overall 85.9, which is fucking absurd for like a 35-year-old guard. Uh, especially with his style of play and in an offense that runs the ball as much as they do, uh, 84.9 pass block, 79.5 run block. So, you know, definitely more geared towards pass blocking uh, in the latter half of his career than he was towards run blocking um, when he was sort of more physical and ready to get downhill when he was younger. But he was just still getting it done in every sense of the word. And uh, not only did they lose a great player, but they lost a great uh, leader in the locker room. So um, I think that's sort of something that you're going to want to keep an eye on as you continue to build it up this offense because you've got a lot of young guys. Uh, you just lost, you know, for sure, your most experienced veteran, your most tenured guy, uh, and the guy who you respect the most. But I think for me, the, the standout memory that I'm going to have for him, um, we talk about how linemen don't really get a ton of shine, but I think he kind of had his moment this year with the hell yeah, coach, let's go for it thing where Lamar kind of mentions like I turned to Yonda because he's the OG. Like I wanted to get his thoughts on it. He turns and says, you want to go for it? And he just like does his caveman laugh or whatever that was. And Yonda loved that Lamar asked him so much, too. He was like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that was, I like, think that was our Dean's quarterback Go ask the guard. They don't go ask the guard. They, they, they want to be the guy. But Lamar was like, hey. Should we do this? He's like, yeah. And then they, what do they do? Run right behind Yonda. Yeah, exactly. And they score on the play. So to me, that's kind of how I'm going to remember him personally. Same. That'll be, that's definitely my like Yonda memory. And um, like you said, yeah, definitely was a little bit like more of a mauler downhill in the run game when he was younger, but how technically sound he's been over the last five or so years in the past pro. I think it was what four holding penalties in his last like 
94 games or something. I think he had 20. I think he had 20 holding penalties total in his career. And then third, what was it? 20 sacks in 13 years, I think something of the sort. Um, so he's just been unbelievable dealing with, you know, the Geno Atkins, all the guys in Pittsburgh that he's dealt with, uh, battles in the playoffs and just so consistent for so long, such a technical savant of the position with his hand placement, and everything. And then I remember, uh, Eric DaCosta was talking, it was real. I think it was just a couple weeks ago about, uh, how, you know, there are guys and they try to kind of position value and this will lead. We'll get in some draft talk later, but how there are guys that end up in the third round who certain rooms have a like high day one grade on and they considered Yonda a day one player off the bat and were just so confident that he was going to slip because no one was talking about him. There was nothing going on. Apparently DaCosta said like that was the loudest a war room has ever erupted in like high fives and like hell yes was when they got Yonda in the third round because they knew he was going to come in and be a bulldog from day one. Um, and he, you know, played some right tackle early on despite being a shorter guy, but was always able to kick out the right tackle and just really the grittiest possible career you could ask for. And the way that Pat McCarry and Orlando Brown and Ronnie Stanley and Skura and the whole Ravens offensive line is talking about him. You can just tell that he was never the I'm on 10 plus year veteran snobby kind of guy that they learned so much from him. He wanted them to be better. He did everything he could. And just imagine how much different the last two years would have gone without Marshall Yonda, how much easier Matt Skura and Pat McCarry's life was being able to rely on him being the guy to their right. With Bozeman playing left guard, who's also very inexperienced, uh, despite, I mean, he did play at Bama a ton, but in the NFL, and knowing that the dude to your right in that B gap is going to be holding his own. And I'm sure that Orlando Brown has played better than he would have without Marshall Yonda next to him. It's impossible not to. Um, so, like you said, I think the, the analytics guys and give PFF a ton of credit for putting the gritty guys back into the spotlight. I think that uh, Yonda did blow up, and Kyle made a good point, like you said. So, we're sad to see him go, but. Uh, we're, we're just fortunate to have had him the last couple of years. And as Baltimore Ravens fans, that guy being the right guard was awesome. 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 Awesome to watch the last deck over the last decade. So, uh, shout out big M chickens and mentals, chicken noodle soup, all that good stuff. We fucking love that guy and wish him the best. Absolutely. Very big shoes to fill. Uh, but apparently the Ravens have known that this was going to be the case for a long time. So they are prepared to deal with it. Uh, and I think, I think I saw Adam Bonacorsi from Russell street report talking about how the fact that Ben powers was inactive, I believe every game this season, uh, that was part of the plan for them getting him ready to step in for Yonda at right guard, potentially, or maybe you slide Bozeman over there and you put powers at left. I'm not totally sure how this transition is going to take place, but I like uh, Powers' mentality in that uh, aspect. It kind of reminds me of Yonda a little bit with his uh, little clip uh, talking about how you know he, he loves football and uh, part of uh, the reason why is because he gets to line up across from another man and just cross his dreams or something like that. It's kind of reminiscent of Yonda and his attitude. And like right. there, there was the clip going around today again of him um, taking like a taser to the neck from uh, Samari Roll um, and Chris McAllister, I think when he was a rookie right. to the bet to, you know, get the $600 from them or whatever. And he's like, it's the easiest $600 ever made. So I, you know, I'm confident that Ben powers has the right attitude, uh, to potentially be the guy to replace him. But 
another potential replacement. Uh, this was surfacing a little bit. We kind of just wanted to touch on it um, in relation to this news because, you know, we heard about Yonda officially or making it official today. Um, and interestingly enough, a familiar name around here resurfaced as a potential replacement for him in Kaleche Osemele, uh, who was a Ravens guard uh, who was drafted in, I believe, 2012 in the second round. Uh, played for them for several years before departing for Oakland in free agency. Played pretty well for the Raiders for a couple of years, uh, but eventually uh, got traded over to the Jets last season. Pretty disastrous year for him. Uh, he's had his injury issues over the last couple of years, has them again last year. And then the Jets being the Jets, they get into this dispute with him over the fact that they thought he was healthy enough to play and he gets this like unauthorized surgery and um, there, there's all this ugly stuff going on. So he only plays three games there. Um, the Jets eventually cut him back in October. But Mike Garofolo from NFL Network was floating the idea that the Ravens could be going after Osemele. And I'm not sure um, where he kind of got that idea or why he threw it out there. It, the way his tone of voice made it sound like especially was, for him, especially for him. That was so random. His so his tone of voice kind of made it sound like he was spitballing a little bit, but he's in the Jersey area, so I could be I could see him being connected to the Jets, and he covers a lot of Ravens events from the castle, I guess because he's got some proximity at least for an NFL Network employee. Um, so right. I think I think he's somewhat connected in the Ravens building, so maybe he was kind of throwing that out there as something that he had heard. But uh, for right now, it's just something that's totally speculative, and um, I kind of. Naturally, I'm a little bit skeptical of stuff like that. So I remembered back um, because I actually went back and found my old article from 2016 that I wrote for Baltimore Beatdown um, ahead of the Raiders coming to play the Ravens in Baltimore. Uh, he kind of threw some stuff out there that he wasn't totally pleased with the way the way that the Ravens had approached offering him a contract. He said they weren't even close to the number that he was looking for. And he was a little insulted by that. And when he went over to Oakland uh, in a separate situation, he had made a comment about how he was happy to go to a franchise that, you know, liked or, you know, put stock into building up the offensive line coming from a place that didn't, which was kind of a weird thing to say. And then uh, I think some other people floating on Twitter today that he didn't, he mentioned how he didn't get along with one of the coaches or something. So seems like kind of a lot of things potentially working against it happening, but from a football perspective, do you see it working? Yeah. I mean, from a football perspective though, like a lot of injuries and it feels like he hasn't played that well for me. Uh, at least, I mean, in the three games he played, he was registering like low 50s for PFF. I'm not going to like lie and say that I was watching his tape, but it just doesn't. It seems like a lot of bad juju for one thing and not necessarily like worth the investment football wise in my mind. It feels like it's just the nostalgic, you know, Ravens fan from Dundalk. Like <laughs> they haven't watched more than the Ravens play and think that Clichio Semele is still good. You can take a flyer on him and throw him a bone, couple million, whatever, one year deal, something. I mean, but it, it's just not good business putting any kind of accountability or expectation into a 31 year old guard who is coming off of serious, serious injuries, had a bad kind of player relation situation with the Jets, had a bad player relation situation when he left Baltimore. Um, just not a viable option to come in and like be a cog in the line. So take a flyer on him. That's one thing. Just don't see any stock being put into him being like a real option. And maybe he thinks, you know, oh, the Ravens are doing great now and blah, 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 blah. But I just don't think. What you're saying Ravens, is what you're saying the, is the Ravens that the Ravens are looking at Calicio Semi like, all right, we got to bring him back. We've we messed right, that one up. Right. Yeah. Like what you're saying is your problems are not solved at the guard position if you go and sign him. 
Exactly. That is a Band-Aid at best, really, uh, instead of stitches. So that, I mean, experience-wise, sure. But I frankly seems like kind of a dick. So I don't know if he's like going to be, you know, coming in and mixing it up and, and bringing leadership or anything. So I'm just not putting my uh, chickens in that coop. And I think there's a couple like Quentin Spain is a guy uh, who's supposed to hit the free agent market. Hasn't let up a, a sack in a thousand snaps. Uh, Gabe Jackson out of Oakland been killing it last couple years besides Rodney Hudson. Apparently he's on the trading block for some reason. Uh, so I, th- I think the Ravens end up bringing in, you know, maybe one veteran and one rookie because you just want to give Lamar Jackson. When you have a playmaker at quarterback like Lamar Jackson, you just want to make sure we're giving him a damn good offensive line. Uh, but yeah, like we said, not solving your problems if you think you have problems by bringing Colegio Semele. So not putting any stock into that one. That's not going to, you know, be a part of bringing Dow Jones back up to even this week. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole whole nother situation entirely. Not going to be logging on to the 401k for a while. But I did open Good. an E-Trade Don't account. Look at it. Do not I, look at it. I opened an E-Trade account, market volatility, buy low. Um, but yeah, so I was talking about that stuff a little bit on Twitter. And uh, you mentioned uh, KO's a dick, but... Uh, our boy MD Law So Hard was chirping in. I don't know if you saw that, but um, big Fed Hill guy. And he said, <laughs> he said, I got really fucked up with KO at Wayward right after he got the contract. He was super humble, bought me a beer and stated he only left because the Oakland offer was so high, but that he wanted to stay and beat more. Then he took this thick girl with tig old biddies home. So maybe not a dick collection. And so. then something weird happened with CJ Mosley. And we don't have to air him out like that. But the, <laughs> I mean, he, he, himself out he put it Twitter. on Twitter. Yeah, he put it on Twitter. So um, <laughs> if you want to fig- if you want to uh, look into that, go follow at MD Lawso Hard 2. Uh, he, Some weird things have happened in wayward bathrooms. Let's just I, I've had times. I'll, I'll leave it at this. This is actually ironic. I'm not going to say his name. Maybe no one knows him, whatever. A friend of mine who actually is a lawyer as well, I guess MD Law So Hard is a lawyer, a friend of mine who was a practicing attorney in the state of Maryland, passed out in that little wayward nook bathroom that's right by the front bar. I hate passed that out thing. In with the, yes, passed out in there with the door locked, woke up at like 5 a.m. And it had been locked from the outside for the janitor to clean. So he was like, bang, he was like locked in there for an hour and a half on like a Sunday morning had to like, was like banging on the door and the janitor finally like let him out. And it was like 7.00 AM. And he like, the janitor was like trying to call the cops on him or something. And he had to like run away. (laughs) So yeah, wayward bathroom, weird weird things have happened there. Uh, yeah. I mean, weird could be a lot of different definitions, but, uh, yeah, you know, kind of a strange situation, uh, there, uh, moving on, I guess we've got our Kalechi assembly bathroom talk out of the way. Uh, compensatory picks finally announced. This was taking forever. People were starting to get a li- little bitchy and you know chirpy on Twitter about how they weren't getting announced, and it's a little ridiculous because the draft is coming up uh, fairly shortly here next month. Um, but they finally were announced on Tuesday. The Ravens getting two comp picks, uh, one in the third round, which they were speculated to maybe miss out on because C.J. Mosley's injury situation with the Jets was so dire, and uh, he was kind of what they were counting on. But he came through for them. They get. Uh, a third round pick at 106 overall, and they are also awarded a fourth round pick at 143 overall, leaving them with nine total draft picks heading into next month. A lot of picks. The CJ Mosley, they essentially traded up. It had, it had been widely reported that was going to be a fourth round pick. Um, so they essentially traded up for free about 
some 30-odd spots with that 106, and it leaves him in such a good spot. Eric DaCosta had said in an interview in Indy for the Combine that uh, the Ravens had close to 200 players on their draft board, and that is equivalent to one metric shitload. That is a huge draft board. Uh, they usually around, you know, like 140 to 160, 170. So if they're up in the 180, 190s, that means this is a very deep draft in their eyes. Uh, I would love to see them take some of those picks and do some trade up, trade down, end up with, you know, five, six top 100 picks and go get some guys who can come in and help now in this Super Bowl window that they have. Seems like this is a good draft for it. Uh, there's really weird stuff with the with how good the tackle class is and the wide receiver class, but definitely a blessing for the Ravens to get that third-round pick and be able to have some more ammo to dilly-dally in the second and third round and uh, go get some guys that are going to help in 2020. Yeah, I've definitely focused more on the first and second round this year. I definitely want to do some more homework getting into the uh, third round in the, fourth, in the uh, third day there. Um, so it's exciting news in that they always seem to go into the draft with a good amount of picks, but when they don't, I get a little anxious and it's like, all right, what's going to happen here. And sometimes when they don't, what they do is they just trade back a ton and they get like a million fourth round picks or whatever and parlay that maybe into even more later picks or they just pick a ton of players. I mean, there have been times where they're picking five players in the fourth round, you know, which is pretty insane. Um, so with nine, I think their high has been like 12 recently. So nine is a good number for me. And uh, we were talking a little bit on Twitter about how 28 is maybe kind of a weird spot this year. So maybe you could see a slight move up with some of this more ammo or you could see a move down like you were talking about into the second round and just completely go buck wild on some of these guys that uh, otherwise would maybe be going in the first. But due to some of the depth are falling down um, and you could get maybe multiple starters um, in one draft, which has been something they've been doing the last couple of years. So if they can keep that up. Uh, with this amount of picks, that would be pretty impressive. And uh, a new need uh, just came open today with the right guard spot, um, you know, coming open with, open with the yonder retirement. So maybe start brushing up on those interior linemen. Keep looking at some of these wide receivers that are probably going to be falling into the second round and um, keep looking at your pass rush options. Maybe they're at 28. There feels like there's going to be some good value. So uh, uh, it shakes out pretty well for them, especially with the fact that it was widely, uh, you know, believed that they were not going to be getting that third round pick. So that that's good ammo for them to get their hands on. Right. Seven picks, first four rounds. That's straight money. And I think that Eric DaCosta is really coming into his own. We'll see what he does in free agency. But just the beauty of the way that Ozzie Newsome, the Ravens front office and him having now set up Eric DaCosta. I mean, they had probably like when was the last time they made such a splash in free agency as they did last year? bringing in Earl Thomas, Mark Ingram, a couple other guys, you know, Seth Roberts and some other key guys that did take some snaps. But Earl Thomas got a sizable contract. They got a high profile running back and ended up coming out with a third and a fourth round pick out of it as well. Um, so, I mean, when you look back at Eric DaCosta's first year, it maybe it's a little nearsighted to, to do so already. But letting C.J. Mosley go, letting Terrell Suggs go, you know, last year I was in a hot panic when free agency opened and you see all these guys flying off the Ravens or, you know, CJ Mosley's going to the jets. You're like, Oh, okay. I didn't it's really easy. Yeah. It's I mean, easy to forget. Nothing happened for them that first couple of days and people were freaking out. I, there was no Earl Thomas links. There was no, no, that was, Baltimore that was totally, that was totally out of the blue and the Ingram thing that was kind of overshadowed by Le'Veon Bell rumors. So it was just totally a weird Yeah, me time. listening to his stupid 
freaking album at midnight. Like God, that was so sick. It was, I was so happy you did that. It was it was fun in retrospect, but like so stupid. But it was it was wild, and and he remained calm. And to do what he did, the midseason stuff we've talked we've talked about to her blue in the face, all the transitions that he made to get the defense right, whatever. Fourteen and two, Hollywood Brown, Jalen Ferguson, a couple you know key guys in there, and now having nine picks has even more money. And the interesting thing here, and and some actual good work from Jason Lock and Fora uh, that makes a ton of sense is that the Ravens are among the one, two, three, sixth. They are the sixth lowest in terms of actual payroll spending in the 2016 to 2019. So the last three years. And that means that they have not spent cash on contracts while also not really having, you know, paid a ton of money. They have been tied up because of dead money and things like that. But it puts you in it when you have more cash on hand, it puts you in a better position to give out contracts and I think this could be an explosive free agency session from the Ravens um, more than even last year. The, like maybe not, you know, an Earl Thomas type guy, but bringing in four or five guys to fill roles and make sure that you can go draft with no prohibitive kind of we have to go get a guard. We have to go get a linebacker, any of that stuff. So they've got cash on hand, their payroll, their cap space is Pretty damn solid now after Yonder retiring. I'm sure Brandon Carr is, you know, it kind of looks like the writing is on the wall there. So they're going to end up uh, somewhere in the 40 to $50 million range with cap. And it looks like next week is going to jump off for the Ravens. I'm not sure what they're going to do. I'm not going to try to really predict. We can, you know, say guys that we like, and I'm sure we will. We have done that. But I think they're going to be very active. And DaCosta is really going to be getting into it and getting frisky in this uh, free agency session and then draft season. So this is, I mean, exciting, exciting stuff. And it feels like it's the final stage, which sounds stupid coming off of 14 and two number one overall season, but it's the final stage of creating that five, 10 year contender. And it's this off season and this season moving forward. So it's a really exciting time to be a Baltimore Ravens fan. Yeah, sure. I think you nailed it too uh, with your approach and the way that you described it. And I think you build a contender by, building out the depth with free agency and then using the draft to try and go hit on some superstars. And it doesn't necessarily always have to work that way. You can acquire superstars in free agency as they did last year. But uh, I think it sets up pretty well, man. You you hit on the fact that they have enough money to go out and hit a bunch of doubles. Randall Cobb's going to be available. You mentioned him. I think he'd be in potentially a good fit. Uh, Devin Funches could be a good fit if he can stay healthy. And the fact that he's got some. Yeah, I like Devin Funches. And he's got size, you know, which they really don't have right now. Um, you got Derek Wolf. They got a visit, a visit already scheduled with apparently at the pass rusher. So, you know, maybe a, some, a guy like him you could bring in uh, and then just kind of supplement it out with the draft and kind of keep trying to build the roster in a solid way without kind of trying to overdo it uh, could maybe be a very good way to go to set this team up to succeed long term and not kind of put all your chips into the table uh, this year, or maybe the next two years. I think that playing it long term is going to be smart um, for this team in the way that they're so young right now. Uh, and they've got you know plenty of road in front of them, so maybe just don't go too fast, um, ease up on the gas a little bit, and just kind of try to take stock of what you got and what you need uh, to set yourself up for a long time. Right, they stay in fourth gear. They stay proactive instead of reactive. It feels like Ben Powers was uh, preemptive, you know, and like you were saying, with with him sitting out was part of the plan. Um, getting a kind of a red shirt year for the most part. And down to that last game in Pittsburgh, he was able to come in and get a look, get his, you know, feet wet a little, but 
they are just so steady. And I can't recall the journalist, I believe it was Omar Kelly, who said that he believed the best two organizations, well-run organizations in football were Seattle and Baltimore. Yeah, it was him. And of course, you want to add New England into that, of course. And that got into some whole discussion. And they're, they're a little different. Well, I mean, yeah, he specifically he specifically started that conversation by saying, I don't think New England is a well-run organization. So I'm going to kind of have to half disagree with him on this one. Sure. But, you know, obviously them, you might throw the Steelers in there, a couple other teams, but sure. um, you have to agree. And they just, like you said, hitting doubles, staying in fourth gear. Um, whereas teams like, let's say the Rams went balls to the wall, spent so much money in free agency, bought an entire defense at one time and lost a Super Bowl. And now it looks like they're kind of screwed uh, with with being up against the wall and not really being able to have a nice balanced cap and roster. Uh, giving out all that money to Jared Goff pretty damn early too. And teams like that, teams like the Browns, so the, the calm and steady approach, the Packers are another team that comes to mind. But that calm and steady approach, never going throughout an offseason without making moves, but never overextending yourself in one offseason, uh, always giving yourself some leeway. And it, like I said, it just feels like it's time to to you know put the, the finish, the varnish on the furniture and put it to use. It feels like it's complete, you know, back to 2015, 2016, you have this Joe Flacco contract. You completely kind of screwed up the way you want to put a roster for him. Um, you know, paying defense a lot and then paying him a lot and not really giving him weapons and giving Flacco enough to succeed, knowing he's not really like a Tom Brady guy, but he's, you know, talented enough for that contract. So now you've got the rookie quarterback that is a freaking MVP. You're back to back division titles. You've got a great secondary. You've got bookend tackles. You've got talented tight ends. They've got so many good rooms. It feels like now the, the final steps are just getting the line right, adding a backer, getting a little more pass rush, and that's it. And sure, a receiver would be great, all that stuff. You can get a receiver anytime. Receivers can come in and be valuable as rookies. But those final couple things, getting one linebacker that you can count on for the next three years uh, to maybe go aside LJ Fort, getting one defensive lineman, maybe two, but one defensive lineman that's going to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, fuck shit up in the backfield and get pressure. Uh, and then, you know, maybe just one more weapon on offense. And those are not, that is not a laundry list to do in an off season. That's a pretty short list. So it's time. I think that you and I both were on that page that this past year was the, the final ramp up year. And now it is the year. This is the year. 2020 is the year. Um, and see if the Ravens can go win a damn Lombardi trophy in three consecutive decades. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that would be a great start to the decade uh, for them. Um, but speaking of laundry lists slash short lists, uh, we had what looked like something of a short list of uh, proposed rule changes. Uh, the Ravens kind of getting in the mix on that. Them and the Chargers putting forth rule proposals to the league uh, to assist in officiating, uh, such as an eye-in-the-sky booth umpire and a senior technology advisor to assist the referees. So kind of calling out the refs for being boomers a little bit there. It is a little boomer shot at them. Um, but the the Sky Judge, I've wanted for years. I think the Ravens already proposed this once this past winter. And XFL does it. The AF did it. And it just takes all the pressure. I think it's a good idea. It just takes all the pressure off the refs on the field where they don't have to really get off the field and go dilly-dally with some stupid tablet. And there's just some kind of arbiter in the sky that can navigate on a nice big monitor and get whatever assistance he needs and do it in a split second. And boom, 
you know, calls it like when you watch the XFL, when they go to that eye in the sky, it's it's 30 seconds and then it's over. You can even hear them talking about it, which is awesome. But uh, all of a sudden it's over and they've been getting it right a lot of the time. It just feels like why the hell would you not do that? So it seems like, yeah, it seems like a formalization of the analogy of, well, if Brad and Chad in B-dubs, you know, five beers deep can pretty easily tell what is a catch or what isn't a catch or like what the right call is, then why can't these official, you know, officials do it? Um, it kind of gives them that additional judge who kind of, can kind of step back and look at it from a common sense perspective where he has a screen, has a full view of the field, full view of what's going on. Uh, you're kind of not relying on the naked eye at first and then on replays second. It's, you know, sort of an amalgamation of all of it. Uh, and it's in a guy, it's for a guy who is sort of removed from the pressures of the situation that the refs are sometimes facing where they don't want to, uh, overturn themselves, um, because, you know, refs don't want to believe that they're wrong anytime. No human ever does. So that's kind of a, you know, a weird part of the language of not wanting to overturn the call on the field. So I think it kind of removes that bias naturally and it kind of helps to give it a little bit more of an objective view. Sure, exactly. And um, it's a guy who's not on the field with that preconceived notion of I called this, you know, that's what I think happened. It, it exactly like you said, takes that uh, subjectivity out and puts in objectivity. The, the eye in the sky doesn't give a damn. He wasn't part of it. He's just going to call what he sees. And that is also such a sick job. I would love to be the eye in the sky. <laughs> Being the eye in the sky would be incredible. You would ins- you in- would insert yourself into the, the proceedings, though, very much. No, 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 no. You'd no, be no. looking for the camera. You'd be like winking and stuff like. No, I would be I would be the guy like I would be wearing a full suit, like acting like I was doing the most important thing in the world with my little Xbox controller up there. And I would be like I would be acting like I was doing something super important when I'm really just like pressing fast forward and rewind. And I would like try to like have like a really methodical stare and like move my fit hands really fast like I'm some tech guru. In reality, I'm just literally pressing forward and rewind a couple times. Um, but that is a f- sweet job that you know will pay well and uh do we because the refs literally didn't even like get full-time pay until recently right yeah but they have it now and the eye in the sky baby call me sauron saruman yeah i'm uh i'm the the two towers baby but the uh the family guy skit where he's like looking for his uh contact like out in the wilderness he's like wait wait nobody move Oh, I am so grounded. <laughs> His giant contact. Yeah. Oh, God. But yeah, I in the sky is sick. Uh, Ra- the NFL low-key hates the Ravens, so it won't pass. But good job, Harbaugh, just trying to you know throw some rules in there or whatever. Classic, classic. Uh, anything else news-wise you want to get to? Mm, no. I think uh, we're starting to just get to that point where the little like pre-free agency kind of like deals are coming through like Josh Norman has already signed his contract and stuff. That stuff's exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm just pumped for free agency. Cool. Well, we are going to get into some draft discussion and a little bit of free agent talk right after this. All right. So jumping on into the discussion topics, I uh, wrote down a couple of things, draft and free agency related for the most part. Uh, the first one is the draft related thing. And it's something that I wanted to get to because I've seen on social media a little bit, Twitter specifically, there's some nervous energy uh, with some Ravens Twitter in regards to the first couple of rounds of the draft. Our boy, who we both like and respect a lot, Daniel Jeremiah, who is a former Ravens scout, uh, 
you know, held in very high regard. He's now the number one draft analyst over at NFL Network. I think that's pretty much official now that Mike Mayock is gone. He is the guy over there. And uh, recently he mocked DeAndre Swift, the running back from Georgia to the Ravens in, uh, I believe, the first round. And uh, there's been some other talk uh, from some other analysts and stuff out there that maybe the Ravens could do that in the first round. They could do it in the second round. Swift seems to be a guy that keeps getting thrown out there. Um, I just wanted to get your opinion on this because I feel like you're going to have some takes. Are you for or against the Ravens drafting a running back within the first two rounds as we've kind of been seeing floated out there? I think that you can if you draft Jonathan Taylor, it's, it's guy by guy. If you draft Jonathan Taylor in the first round, you're, you're an idiot. He is a really good running back. He is not, that, you know, three day, he's not that Christian McCaffrey type. Like you got to be drafting someone who is not coming off the field and is going to make your passing game significantly better. I think that Swift is in that Alvin Kamara mold a little bit. I think he's, that's a a pretty good comparison with kind of like the elusiveness mixed with some power and some receiving ability. I don't think that drafting a, a running back in the first round is good for business at all. I think that's pretty widely accepted. Uh, But if you're going to, Swift is the guy of this draft and maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But Swift has, you know, that breakaway speed a little more, like a little bit more big play factor to him. They need to be able to go line up in the slot. They need to be able to pass pro. It has to be a complete every box is checked running back. Swift does check that. And... You know, I, I listened to Move the Sticks and what they had to say about it. And Daniel Jeremiah's points were pretty much he was like, you know, sick brag. I was in the Ravens front office. I've been in their war rooms. I know how they operate. I know Eric DaCosta very well. They take the best player available. That is what they hang their hat on doing. That was his first point. So, you know, if, if Swift is a top 10 guy for them and they're picking at 28 and he's there, that makes sense. Uh, then his second point was that Mark Ingram is 30. Gus Edwards isn't a factor as a pass catcher that much. Um, he didn't really mention Justice Hill. I think that is the the part that kind of makes this a little more stupid for Ravens fans, where you're like, all right, but they have Justice Hill. We like him. We think he's going to be pretty decent. And maybe he's not DeAndre Swift, but maybe he gives you 80% of what Swift does, whatever. So he said that Mark Ingram's 30. They can cut him next year and save money. And there's plenty of carries to go around in that offense. Gus Edwards is not necessarily back, although I'm sure they're going to tender him with like a second rounder to pretty much keep him. Um, so, I mean, it it wouldn't be perfect. But now that Yonda's retired and a couple of things, like you can get undrafted running backs that are fine. You can go get like, uh, what's his name? Anthony McFarland out of Maryland is a good pass catcher and ran a four, four, seven and is explosive projected as like a mid rounder, right? Yeah, exactly. And PFF did that whole thing. And, you know, we love PFF. We don't always agree with them, but something you agree on the running backs drafted in the first round and the running backs drafted in the fifth round, they don't really end up any better or worse than the other one. And you can even lump, you know, the UDFAs that end up on an NFL roster into that. Running back is just a really weird position right now in today's NFL. And it feels like how many guys that have gone in the last two, three years in, you know, the top two rounds really are like worth it in the end. You know, maybe Nick Chubb, he's one. 
Um, Sony Michelle was not, is not, has not proven to be that receiving threat as, you know, look at the Patriots. They have James White who shits on Sony Michelle in the passing game. You know, they have Rex Burkhead and I, I like Sony Michelle. He's a good running back, but I'll take him in the fourth round because it's just like running back. You, they don't really get better. Like they, they pretty much have it or they don't. It's a position that is just based on, you know, athleticism, vision, and kind of like being well-rounded as an athlete. And I don't, I don't know, but you can pretty much, guy, you can pretty much always like, argue that they get worse with the exception of somebody like James White. You can pretty much always argue that you get yes. the most out of them in their first couple of years. And then they're just kind of done. Yes. And that's why they're going to be addressed in the CBA. They need like a different set of contracts or something. I don't know. I don't know. But running backs are at a really weird place. And I've gotten into that. I feel bad for them. They're probably the best athlete on the football field. They have to be able to block a lineman, outrun a DB and run through a linebacker. And like they are the best footwork. They are strong. They are there. They check every athletic box. They can jump the highest, run the fastest. They have to be able to catch all that crap. So it's just really weird for them with how many good ones there are. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. It's, it's, it's odd. Like, but in the end, like, so Daniel Jeremiah's point, this is where I defer from him and, and think that I do not agree. He said that they can cut Mark Ingram next year and save $1.5 million, but you can draft someone else next year. You can draft Travis Etienne. You can draft any other good. There's going to be 10 more guys that are going to come in and, and be able to be good running backs. In NFL. The, th- every the point I think you're trying to make ultimately is that the, in this day and age with the way that they're being used and the way that the cap is structured, the supply just so greatly outweighs the demands and there is demand, but there's 32 teams and there's a shitload of running backs, both on the market and in the draft and that are going to go undrafted that can produce because that's literally all the position is about in some respects is just going out and producing, uh, which I guess kind of right. sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron because I guess you could say that's about any position. But with wide receiver, there are certain things that you can do that maybe don't show up on the stack sheet, such as drawing attention away or, um, you know, running good routes and just kind of throwing guys off and kind of having multiple dimensions to your game. It feels like with running backs, it's much more kind of one dimensional. It's just all about the numbers and getting up and down the field. And I do feel bad for them. uh, Like you mentioned, as much as I like and agree with PFF on most things, that there's a snarkiness to the way that they approach the whole running backs don't matter thing, which kind of annoys me a little bit because you feel exactly. bad for these guys. It pisses me off. You feel bad for these guys that go out there and just put their bodies on the line. And uh, they're a literal batting battering ram. Yeah, like they exactly. are. They're a literal battering ram that has a head of steam and then has to go hit. And like linemen are at least like linemen take a beating, but they're in a phone booth like running backs. get And they get fucking paid if they're really good. Yes. And running Uh, backs are running backs are approaching a sort of um, just kind of a weird position where. Yeah, it's a weird purgatory where even if you are great, you're probably not going to be getting paid, not in the same way. And I would like to see in the CBA, it feels like it may be approaching the 11th hour on this, but maybe a different structure for the way running backs are able to get paid. Maybe there's a different scale for them. So they can, contracts or something. I don't know. Yeah. And, and so they can kind of start getting their just due a little bit. And um, I'm kind of pretty much all the way there with you where I agree with DJ on his point on Ingram getting a little bit older and maybe Gus Edwards is going to be gone soon because he wants to go somewhere else and prove that he can uh, be a bell cow back. 
Uh, but Justice Hill is there who would feel a little bit redundant with a guy like Swift, although I don't think that should necessarily preclude them from taking Swift if he falls far enough or if he feels or if they feel that he's the best guy. But for me, it would like ha- in the second round, I think he would be mu- like if he's there. At yes. 50, yeah. So and you, you even can trade up from like 60 to 50. Like I would support that. I might but, even, yeah, but I might even avoid him in like the second round. Like if it were, if ETN had declared and there'd be a little bit more competition as for, you know, teams making a run on running backs. For me, it feels like Swift is kind of the top guy uh, and there's not really a ton of competition. I like Edwards Hilaire. Um, but other than that, it's like, what what's to stop them from, and maybe this isn't like a scheme fit from, but like from doing like a JK Dobbins in like the third round or like a Jonathan Taylor or somebody like that. Right. Um, it just feels and then there's just going to be some dude from freaking like, I don't Alcorn state or whatever. There's actually a guy, there's actually a guy. His name is Pete Guerrero. I've been to Monmouth games because I have a friend who plays for Monmouth and he ran has back to back thousand yard seasons. He looks like Philip Lindsay. He's as fast as Philip Lindsay. He's really, 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 really talented. He's going to go undrafted. I'm willing to bet he ends up on an NFL roster. What's There's the what's like that. what is the most recent running back contract in the last couple of days? A guy who just got paid for a running back in the last couple. Of, oh, uh, Eckler, yeah, undrafted, undrafted. And what is he? What is his bread and butter of his game? That he is a money receiver. Exactly. So, yeah, for me, it comes down to supply and demand. And as much as I would enjoy having a fun, exciting guy like DeAndre Swift. I just don't think a first or even second round, maybe uh, investment would, would kind of do it for me. I agree. And it, it would make more sense. And I hear what he's saying about the, we're getting pretty into this, but I hear what he's saying. Baltimore runs ball more than anyone. There's a lot of touches to go around. They have running backs though. Running backs to me at this point are a cherry on top. At the end, you build the line, then you get the quarterback you make sure the quarterback has guys to throw the ball to. And then if you have all of that under wraps, like fine, go spend a first round pick on Saquon Barkley or like a animal stud, absolute monster. And while Swift is probably going to end up being a really good fantasy running back and, and all that good stuff, like he's not going to transform their offense. They already have a strong running game. Lamar Jackson, you don't want him taking as many carries in the future. He's always going to be the electric one, though, because he runs a f- supposed 4-3-4, whatever it is, and is the best playmaker on the field. So, like, they have Hill. They have Edwards. They have Ingram. Three different guys that kind of have different skill sets. Two of them are pretty proficient in the pass-catching game. And if, let's say, there was no Justice Hill – then I could maybe see Swift or let's let's actually say there's no Gus Edwards. If there's no Gus Edwards, you have a 30 year old running back and a young running back who can catch the ball. Ingram, you don't want to count on him for more than maybe one more year and, and really be like, all right, we have a running back. But the fact that they just have three dudes already that are NFL Hill isn't proven, but I feel like we saw enough glimpses to be confident he can, you know, make plays he came on them. down the stretch and in different ways than people were expecting him to, which I think is important. Right, he was splitting out wide a lot and being able to do good, some good power things. runner too. He's going between the tackles, like people yeah, are, definitely, definitely. I, I, we 
spoke, we've always spoken highly of Justice Hill from the time they drafted him. Where did they draft him? What was he? he was fourth, fourth round. round. Yeah, fourth round. And he was all those like highlights from OK State were like stretch runs to the outside, and people were like, "All right, that's what he'll do. He'll catch passes." But like he gets in there at the end of the season, he's running up the middle, he's you know bursting through uh, in between tackles and guards, and he's just kind of getting up in there on those inside runs. Sh- much more. Really shockingly good through contact. Very physical. Like, yeah, much more than you would expect for a guy with that profile coming out of the drafts, but especially for from OK State where. Mike Gundy and that glorious fucking mullet are just tossing the ball all over the yard. But yeah, it's <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm a man. Um, I'm 40. I'm 40. But yeah, uh, you know, it just, it feels like the supply and the demand is not there. So as much as I love DJ, I wish he would kind of uh, shoulder this one for a while. and just kind of let it be. Sure. And it's, again, it's just, I don't think Swift is, He's going to make me eat my words. And I think he ends up having very Alvin Kamara-like ability. Traits. Yes. I just don't think he is like transcendent enough to warrant that pick. And I mean, maybe that's still, I mean, Bill Belichick took Sonny Michelle in the first round. People, okay. Well, I mean, the thing is people talk about Alvin Kamara like he's the gold goddamn standard. Where did he His get drafted? Third round pick. The third round. Yeah. So. Exactly. So it's just poo poo i don't know it i if if it's swift and that's the first round pick i mean what if you're gonna this is this is why it would make me mad actually i just finally figured out if you're about to walk up to the podium and take swift at 28 trade the fuck back yes trade back i agree if he's there if he's there at 48 and it's the same thing we're like all right again and even more so he is the number one guy on our board don't walk away without getting something out of that situation like trade back if he's still there take him that's okay that is a circumstance i'm acceptable the ravens end up picking him at like 42 that is fine because they get more ammo and whatever so that is it but don't just go take a running back in the first round yeah for sure uh so i guess we have said all we needed to say on that uh other topic we wanted to touch on before we get out of here uh, a little hypothetical, I guess you could say, or maybe just like a hypothetical, you know, discussion point is, do you think that Lamar Jackson is going to be a lure for free agents? And I think specifically free agent receivers. Uh, it's something that kind of got floated out there by ESPN a little bit. I know Jamison Hensley was talking about it, um, but some of the guys on ESPN were as well. Um, and I think it was... Early on in the article here by Kevin Eck on BaltimoreRavens.com, he mentions that Rick Smith of ESPN, I don't know if that's the former Texans um, executive, I don't think it is, but he said, from the standpoint of walking into an organization where you know you've got a chance to go win because the quarterback's going to give you that opportunity, there's some benefit there. I think overall, anyone who's invested in winning and playing with a good football team and with a quarterback who can make plays, that has to be attractive to them. And so that was kind of put in there to set up uh, Keyshawn Johnson, um, noted bloviator, uh, who in the past famously has called out Joe Flacco. Actually, that's not famous. I'm probably just like the only person in the world who remembers that. Cause I took everything. I, against I don't Flacco remember. Personally. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. We don't need to get to that, but he said, um, and this is a great touch by, uh, by Kevin who, who wrote, however, former wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, who famously said, give me the damn ball during his playing days, had an opposing view. So nice little jab there by Kevin to open things. Uh, quote unquote, 
by Johnson. If I was a guy who was caring about statistics and things of that nature to get a big contract, which you were, Keyshawn, let's just fucking say it. I'm probably steering away from that offense because it just doesn't fit me, Johnson said. For me personally, I would have a hard time playing with that type of quarterback given he's in a learning curve right now, and I don't want to deal with that. That's not for me as a veteran player. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tee up on this because I saw you getting a little into the mud on the Twitter sphere today. This is the last, like, the last of the Mohicans of me. That movie is fucking sweet. I've been to the uh, that Table Rock thing where they filmed really? it. Really? Yeah, it was it was sick. I, like, ran along it in that scene where they're, like, running along it. Right. Yeah. I, that's no, I would love to do that. Yes, great, great movie. Yeah. Um, great book. But... That is like my last frontier Ooh, okay. of what you can get me to get riled up about Lamar Jackson on. So let's start off. All right, I have so many places to start. I'm going to start. All right. Gathering my thoughts. So Russell Wilson in 2018 through 427 passes. He was basically for the beginning, like the third year, fourth year, I don't know, whatever. Widely considered the number two best quarterback that year. Behind Patrick Mahomes, 427 passes. Um, if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson would have been MVP. I guarantee you that not Keyshawn Johnson, nor the random dickhead on Twitter, nor anyone would say, oh, receivers don't want to go play for Russell Wilson. That was 16 games, 427 passes, 26.7, whatever, we'll call it 27 attempts per game from Russell Wilson. In 2019, Lamar Jackson ends up, you know, playing 14-ish games after you take away all the time he spent out. Five, or maybe it was six, devastating wins where he's not throwing the ball in the second half. Ends up averaging about 28 and a half passes per game. Uh, sat out against the Steelers. Six of the, or excuse me, it was five of those games were in inclement weather. Leads the NFL in touchdown passes. Wins the MVP. Is top 10 in QBR quarterback rating, completion percentage, yards per attempt, intended air yards per attempt, uh, least in turnover, like best turnover percentage, whatever. Um, the, the Ravens offense leads the NFL in scoring. And again, the emphatic one is that he threw more touchdown passes than anyone else. Wins MVP, is first team all pro. But you don't think that Amari Cooper, I guess is the, the biggest on the free agent market, would rather play with Lamar Jackson than like fucking Jared Goff? Just because he throws the ball more? Like, that doesn't make any sense in my brain. 14-2, and two, he's lost five games, three in the regular season, two of which to Patrick Mahomes. But A.J. Green is, like, willing to stay in Cincinnati with a rookie after dealing with Andy Dalton, who was the most – like, I speak very highly of Andy Dalton, maybe higher than, like, anyone else. Very uninspiring. The average, very average quarterback. A.J. Green's fine there. I just think you're watch the way that players talk about Lamar Jackson go up to him for his Jersey. Like Robbie Anderson is like a Lamar Jackson fanboy. After that game, he was like taking pictures, posting Instagrams draped all over him. Tough tough scene for Sam Darnold there, by the way. Right, exactly. Sam Darnold's fine. But I think that guys want to play with Lamar Jackson more like I would, I'm sure some want to play with Pat Mahomes more, maybe even more of them. But he's he's on your short list of guys you want to play with. Like he's got to be on your short list of guys you want to play with. If you're going to sign a long term deal, you've got Lamar Jackson. And I love how Keyshawn Johnson says that he basically just said that Lamar Jackson's on a learning curve, meaning he's not as good as he's going to be and has won an MVP and has been a one seed. The Ravens have lost 
three regular season games in the last, what, what is it, 22, 23, whatever it is. But what? They want to go play for Chicago? Where, where do they want to go? Do you want to go, like, would you rather play with Jameis just because he lobs the ball up a bunch of times in to Tampa? Like, I, I don't get it. There's guys, like, sh- if I'm a receiver, sure, maybe I want to go play with Russell Wilson more. Maybe I want to play with Mahomes more. But you're not saying I'm not playing with Lamar Jackson. It's just absolutely asinine to me that anyone would think that he led the NFL in touchdown passes. He led the NFL in touchdown passes from the pocket, which is what um, our boy Gordon Gordon from PFF, when he came on, was quick to point out. And Gordon was not a big Lamar believer going into the season, at least not that he was going to be able to do this. I mean, few people were, but he was you know skeptical of his passing ability. But he was quick to point out, no, number one in touchdown passes from the pocket in the NFL in 2019. And I believe of his 36, it was 17 of them were from 15 yards or more. And so if you're going to tell me that you would rather play in a volume passing offense just because of volume, as opposed to an incredibly efficient, high scoring offense on a team that just is off a back-to-back division titles with a young quarterback. I mean, look how much... Who, what player in general doesn't want to come to the Ravens? They, they were having so much fun with the big trust bull crap. And I mean, I got sick of that, but the amount of fun they looked like they were ha- having and the, they led, they led the NFL in scoring. They were the number one scoring offense. You're not, it's like, they're talking about him. Like it's literally, that is how I would describe my feelings for playing for like going to go sign up to play with Mitch Trubisky. That is how I would think of like the way that they're framing this it's like, just oh my yeah, god it's like the recency bias will cloud their minds with the playoff loss and he didn't look good and he'll you know he'll tell you that and there are a lot of reasons but he just he didn't play well so i get you know some of the trepidation maybe against him regarding all of that but i mean he had the best regular season for a quarterback um out of any quarterback last season progressed immensely led the nfl in touchdowns through the most from the pocket, like I mentioned, had like an 85 passing grade from PFF, which is, I believe, their highest grade for passing um, because Mahomes missed some games. I think he might have been a little bit higher. But regardless, I mean, he was just the best quarterback in the NFL last season. And I mean, if you want to talk about like the low volume, you know, amounts or amounts of times that he actually threw the ball, I guess that's fine. But he was the most efficient based on the fact that he threw the least and he had the most, uh, you know, big plays and the most scoring plays through the air. So you talk about efficiency. You talk about pretty much for me, it comes down to like kind of the personal stuff that you were mentioning where his teammates were so fired up about the guy. Mark Ingram is doing these soliloquies about him and how he needs to be the MVP. And like even some of these guys that like didn't play that huge of a role this season, like Seth Roberts. And I know he had kind of a little bit of an ignominious uh, end to the year against the Titans, but he was on Twitter today saying like, I'm never going to forget this year. And like, he didn't have that many. Oh, catches. he was, he loved Lamar. He was calling it like freaky L. Freaky. He was the one. Who yeah. Like he's saying that, that he, you know, he's like defending him and like Lamar, he's like Lamar's like, this is the stat. This is the stat that I think kind of like shuts everyone the fuck up. Lamar Jackson was just on attempts of scrambles fifth in the NFL. Gardner Minshew, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Josh Allen all had a called pass play and took off more than Lamar Jackson. Jackson was better. He averaged 11 yards per scramble. None of them averaged over 7.4. The the Ravens don't want – the idea is that it is meeting in the middle like a bell curve of Lamar Jackson running the ball less and throwing the ball more as he sharpens his skills and like he – 
he won an MVP while he's still not even near his potential as a passer and led the NFL in touchdown passes. And I will take Patrick Mahomes over him as the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm not going to argue with that. Mahomes, whatever. I don't think, you know, that needs to be uh, elaborated on that much. But it just doesn't make sense that Amari Cooper wants to play. Or what, what does he want? Derek Carr? Like, Goff, Drew Locke, Trubisky, like what? Daniel Jones? Are those the—there's— Keyshawn and Keyshawn is speaking from Keyshawn's perspective, who was a guy who was kind of notoriously a little selfish at times and who really just kind of wanted to boost his own profile. So I can maybe see him taking that uh, point of view. But it's like, hey, Keyshawn, like, you know, would you prefer to put up fifteen hundred and ten and go six and ten? Or would you like rather win a Super Bowl and go for like eight hundred and like seven? You know, like I think the answer is pretty obvious there. And. And you the know. Ravens don't – they don't want receivers that don't want to win. And re- they just all want to get paid, man. They don't even care about that crap. They want to get paid, number one. They want to get a big contract. If you offer – if the Ravens offered Amari Cooper five years, $80 million, and that was his best offer by $10 million, where do you think he's going to fucking go? And it's like all well, these guys are like on Instagram and they're like following the check down and like all these accounts that are, you know, putting all this Lamar stuff out there. And it just kind of, you know, contributes to his persona. And in the article, uh, I think it was Schefter got, you know, quoted as saying he was kind of in the discussion and he said, when there's a type of player like that, that's got that type of charisma, that type of personality, and he's that type of magnet. People want to go play with him, whether it's a wide receiver, running back, tight end, anything. Couldn't agree more with that. I just think there's a certain aura around him right now that uh, Mahomes had going into last offseason. They both they both have it. They both have it right now. Those are the it boys. Yeah, and Mahomes was kind of the, you know, it was last offseason that he kind of was, you know, the sole guy with that sort of aura around him and guys wanted to go there and it worked out well for a lot of them. So I think it's something that could happen here. And, um, the article, or at least that segment of the article kind of ends, um, referencing back to John Harbaugh's post, uh, season, you know, season ending press conference. Uh, he got asked if he thought free agent wide receivers wouldn't want to come here. And he said, yes, I absolutely believe that players are going to be very excited to be here and to be a part of this offense. And he was kind of a guy who was derided for saying that this offense was going to be potentially revolutionary heading into the season. So, um, you know, he, he was definitely right about that, I think. And I think he's probably going to be right on that guys would be pumped to come here if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, and we're going to find out if it's going to in the next couple of weeks. I think it is an ideal situation and, having a good running game and a quarterback that can run and teams that want to load the box that makes life so much easier on a receiver. You're going to get one-on-ones out the wazoo. You already have tight ends over the middle. You have uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown on the other side. It's a great situation for a receiver to come into. And there's just so many worse, worse situations. And again, like I said, in the end, they just want to get paid. They want to win. Maybe there's a couple guys that don't like to block to the point where they just don't want to play. Like, I don't know, but it just doesn't make any sense. I think they value money and winning first and the Ravens 10 and six, 14 and two back to back titles, a one seed, a young team, a coach that has, you know, allowed his players to have a lot of fun and be pretty, you know, loose the last couple of years, especially this year and uh, have a pretty self-policing locker room for the most part. And, I don't think anyone's going to be like, ah, shit, I have to go play with Lamar Jackson. Like, yeah. And like, that's where it's kind of ridiculous. And it's sort of 
I sort of almost hate talking about it because it's almost like a lazy, schlocky, like sports talk radio take. Um, but it just kind of it just brought me back to a place of like, are we really doing this right now? Like, this is so ridiculous. And I was thinking, well, it's kind of funny that I consider this ridiculous now because I remember not having a ton of ground to stand on when I was doing the same defense like 18 months ago. When yeah, it was like when TJ that clown and yeah, and Benjamin Albright and is like putting out that like receivers wouldn't want to come here. And it's like, yeah, I guess I didn't have a ton of ground to stand on, but I was like, you just wait and see. And we waited and saw, but we're still kind of having this conversation for reasons unknown to me. But I, I think it's still kind of ridiculous. And I it's think definitely it, clickbait and I can still get lured in on this one, but it, it's just so ridiculous. And I feel like it has such a strong backing of random people and pundits and whatever that just still think that. And after winning an MVP, you know, calling him a running back, all that crap, they are still sticking to their guns that people don't want to play with him. I mean, I just encourage you to go watch a football game, watch them celebrating in the end zone, watch the energy on the sideline in press conferences and all that good stuff. There are not many better situations you can be in than playing in Baltimore's offense with one of the most, if not the most electrifying player in the NFL right now. And he's the one throwing you the ball. Yeah, he's also the one that's uh, running down the street in Pompano catching the ball in uh, Gucci slides, which is kind of sick. Hey, a nice little hezzy there. That's my boy. Getting getting uh, down and dirty in the old Boynton Beach, baby. Gotta love it, them flower boys. Uh, anything else you want to jump to? We are running well over an hour at this point. No, it was a fun one. There's a lot coming. Hopefully we get some free agency commotion going on and a bunch of more content and a bunch of crazy stuff to keep us going football crazy. Uh, that I'm officially excited. opens when? On the 16th, is it? Yes, I believe so. Okay, so that's almost a week from today. So yeah, we're gonna have plenty of free agency stuff for sure. Um, yeah, anything. You and really- that'll that'll really shape the draft for us. That'll you know, they can go out and for all we know, pay Amari Cooper. They can pay Shaq Barrett and franchise tag Matt Judon, and no one will ever mock draft an edge player to the Ravens again. Uh, especially and then they'll in the select round, like so. an edge player in the first round. Yeah, maybe they get Judon and Shaq Barrett and then take uh, Yatur Gross Matos and then they have the best pass rush that they've had in a long time. Who knows? But it'll give us a better picture, kind of clear some of that stuff up, and then it is uh, the final countdown to draft season, so we're excited, and we love this stuff. This is uh, this is what we live for. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to uh, my guy Big Randy on a podcast that I listen to. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> I, to quote uh, Ricky Bobby's son, I don't know what it means, but I love it. Yeah, exactly. So going to be a lot of speculation leading up to the free agency period in a week. So we're going to try to record once or twice before it opens. We're obviously going to be doing a ton of reactions and stuff to it. Going to be, you know, really ramping up as we are fully approaching Amansky levels with the offseason here. Combine now over free agency on the way. The draft is next month. Uh, So get excited, you know, barring some, um, you know, weird virus that's sweeping the world, canceling it. Uh, it's going to be full steam ahead to the draft. So uh, I hope you're excited because I know I am. We're all going to be watching the draft that they won't even have a green room anymore. We'll all just be Skyped in watching the draft. It'll be, um, it's going to be held like in some warehouse and like the mannequins from I am legend are going to be the spectators. Like <laughs> that's so scary. They, uh, <laughs> Baltimore Ravens select AJ Epinesa and like they just what was the name of the mannequin stairs. that he liked in I Am Legend? The one that he did got. he did he name it? Yes, it was like Benny or something. Walter like, or something like that. Or 
and he like has his like AK on it or whatever the gun was, not an AK, but has his AR on it. And he's like, he's like, Sammy, Sam, or no, Sammy, Sammy was the dog. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, what are you doing out here? What are you doing out here? It was originally in a CD store. I don't know. Now well, yeah, see, it's like evolved. Walter or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so once we get into obscure movies from like 12 years ago, we know it's time uh, to go ahead and close it out. Really appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, we're going to see if we can get a Friday episode out, uh, see what is going around on the Twitter sphere. Maybe do another mock draft, but not a ton of stuff as far as the board's moving, so we're going to have to see. Um, but regardless, hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, if you did, go ahead and follow us on social media. You can follow the show in general at Podcast Beatdown. I have been in the fucking 790s for like over a month at this point. Just want to get that account to 800, man. That's not that many. Like, can we just help me out here, please? Uh, so let's go ahead and follow that. You can follow me personally at Jake Luke, putting some of my own personal musings and football stuff on there. You can follow Spencer uh, at Ravens for dummies for a ton of good stuff. A lot of Twitter troll fights and, you know, great things that you love to see. Uh, so he he's a tremendous follow as well. You can follow the website at Be More Beatdown and go to BaltimoreBeatdown.com. Also follow us on Instagram where we post a lot of our mailbags and stuff. Maybe we'll do a mailbag for Friday. Who knows? Um, but yeah, follow that at Baltimore underscore beatdown. Uh, check out the YouTube page. It's just Baltimore beatdown, uh, posting full episodes on there. I'm trying to post clips as well. Whenever we get a guest, uh, probably going to be trying to get a few of those coming up soon. But, uh, regardless, uh, if you like the show, please go ahead and subscribe to it. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and a review as well. And, uh, we really appreciate you guys listening and peace out. See ya. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless.